Hello and welcome to episode three of the Mind Body Power podcast. I'm Sean Blair. In this episode, I'm speaking to ultra runner William Sichel, who's been competing in ultra distance events since 1994. William's going to be sharing some of the secrets of his physical and mental preparation that have allowed him to set and break hundreds of records in his time competing, including being the only Briton and the only over 60-year-old to complete the Sri Chinmoy 3,100-mile race in New York. In September this year, William will compete in his 100th event, and he also has his eyes set on numerous other records and achievements. It's a really great episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, William, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks very much for um, asking me to come on and for calling me. No, no, at all. It's absolutely my pleasure. Looking forward to, to learning some more about yourself and about your, your career. Uh, just to start with, um, when I first contacted you, you said you were part of a, a research project, a, a PhD student, I believe. Are you able to just uh, give a little bit of detail around that? I know you can't uh, go into too much detail. No, yeah, I'm happy to um, talk about it as far as I can. Yes, as you mentioned, it's... Um, a PhD student down at the University of Kent in the um, School of Sport and Exercise Science. And um, she's drawn up a sort of protocol, a design to study, and obviously she wants to write it up and um, have it published in a journal. Um, but essentially, it's um, very much focused on ultramarathon, the demands of ultramarathon running, and in particular, multi-day running. And she's focusing on the effects of sleep deprivation on endurance performance. So um, obviously that's why she contacted <laughs> that's why she contacted me because um, that's yeah. sort of my specialty doing that type <laughs> of event. So the project I've just come back actually just um, a couple of days ago from being down there for seven days, and then I have to go back again um, in the beginning of October to do to do um, a second week. So yeah, it's um it's fascinating for both sides actually. I'm hoping to learn about a lot about myself as well and um it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of it all yeah and was there much practical stuff in that did you have to do much running was that sort of how she the research was performed oh yeah yes i mean i was busy for um, up to about four hours a day um the whole battery of um basically did uh endurance running on a treadmill um so a whole lot of what they call psychomotor tests psychological tests, EEGs, and um, obviously some sleep deprivation as well. So, yeah, it was all in there. So, um, yes, I, I needed a rest when I came home. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing the results of that. Uh, yeah. Just starting on that, as I'm quite new myself to understanding what ultra running is and what these events actually involve, could you yeah. give maybe a breakdown of what a, a, an event would involve? Yeah, um, ultra running basically is any running or walking event that's longer than a standard marathon. That's the, sort of, that's the basic definition. So a normal marathon is 26.2 miles. So it basically, you know, even a 27 mile, then that's an ultra. But um, normally they start around 50K, 31 miles. Um, and then ultra races are, can be on either road, road yeah. courses, um, A to B or sometimes often on laps in parks they can be on running tracks 400 meter tracks running for days days and days or 24 hours or whatever they are um, and nowadays 
Um, well, they can also be indoors as well on small tracks. Um, but nowadays, the most common and most frequent races are on trails, i.e. off-road. Yeah. Uh, normally A to B, uh, long-distance trail running, mountain running. And so really, it's a, it's a huge area um, of events. And as I say, there's been an explosion of these um, off-road trail running events in the last five to ten years. Okay, great. And how long have you been involved uh, on in the scene for? Well, quite a, quite a, quite a long time, yeah. Um, my first ultra marathon was in May 1994, so 22 years ago, and I've actually done 99 races now. So um, <laughs> I think you call it get, getting experience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and was that were these ultra events around before that, or were you sort of there at the advent of these events? Oh no, very very much. They've got a very long history. In fact, they go back literally hundreds of years. Um, and then in particular, the most well documented period of time was in the late 1800s, when the the, the ultra runners and walkers were known as pedestrians or peds for short. Yeah, Victoria Victorian days. And it was all indoors and they could earn huge amounts of money because it attracted massive crowds of people who did, um, who betted on the races. And it was like a form of entertainment, really. Yeah. And for a period, from the period of time from like the 1880 to the 1900s, the, well, 1900 actually, um, as I say, it was a very high, they were sort of, basically they were the, they were the sort of Lewis Hamiltons of their day and they were the highest earning sportsmen in that period of time. And then what happened was it sort of, tended to die out and yeah. it was revived it was revived um in the 1980s six day races that sort of thing was revived in 1980s um they were run on tracks and or, or road circuits uh and then it sort of built up from there and then in the last as i said about 10 10 years in particular trail running off-road running has become uh to ultra distance has become very very popular Okay, perfect. And how did you first get involved in running these events? Did you start with the shorter distances and then sort of build up into into ultra running? Yeah, well, I just fell into it by complete accident. I mean, I wasn't supposed to be doing, doing ultras. Yeah. I was quite happy as a marathon runner. Um, road marathons, they were, as you know, they were big and they they sort of they became very very popular in the eighties. And I started running nineteen ninety two. Um, and I got into marathons for a couple of years, and yeah, I, I enjoyed marathon running, and uh, you know, I was quite good at it. I wasn't fantastic, but I was a good, yeah. good, good club runner. I got down to 2:38 quite consistently, and I was on. I live in a remote location in the north of Scotland and the Orkney Islands. Yeah. And I, I used to order everything by mail order, shoes and stuff. I was quite inexperienced and naive in many ways, and I just said to the guy on the end of the phone. Oh, it's really odd, you know. I'm training quite hard, but I can't get under 238. I'm always doing 238, 239, 238. And I said, the odd thing is, I'm not exhausted at the finish. <laughs> okay. And he said, Oh, what? He said, um, What are you doing a 238 and you're not exhausted? I said, Well, funny enough, now I'm not. He said, Oh, you might be an ultra runner. And I said, Oh, what, what do they do? And he said, Well, they keep going. <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. and I said, All oh, right. And he said, Why don't you try the um, Scottish Championship next year? That would be 1994. Yeah. And I said, Well, you know, how far do you have to run? He said, It was 100k, 62 miles. And I said, Oh, you know, where is it? He said, It was in Edinburgh on a, on a road circuit. So I said, Oh, I'll give it a go. Um, and really, that was my talent, was giving things a go. 
because I travelled down there in July the, in '94 and I won the event in my first okay. attempt. Yeah. So I discovered a, an unusual talent or physiology or whatever you want to call it, and um, that was it. I was hooked. I mean, winning a race. I mean, I just never ever thought I could win a race at anything. I mean, it just wasn't on the cards, you know. Yeah. Um, but I found if I slowed down slightly from six minute miling to say six and a half. I could run for hours, which is what I did. My legs were actually killing me at the end. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just discovering a mental and physical quirk, I think. Um, and it went on from there, really. Yeah. And I mean, going back to that study, then, do you think it is a it is a physical quirk? There are physical properties which people like you have, which make them better suited to to running these distances, or could anyone sort of train to to do what you do? Well, I think, as I've always suspected, my, my physical attributes are not particularly different. I mean, I've looked at some of the, I haven't had all the results from all the tests that were done on me. Okay. But I did the usual range of tests to start with, things like BA2 max and lactate and resting metabolic, well, all these things. I mean, to be honest, they were, the ones I saw, they were just what you'd expect from any well-trained endurance athlete. They weren't yeah. fantastic in any area. And I think personally, the longer I've been in the sport, I think my um, special talent, if you want, or special skill are the mental skills, yeah. which I've built up over years and years. And I think probably that's what manifested itself, even in those early races, was the mental abilities, which I, I mean, I didn't know what I was experiencing then, but I've sort of studied them in later years and got interested, very interested in that. And I think that's what enabled me to make full use of the physical talents I had because I knew runners that were far better and faster and all the rest of it than I was. Yeah. But they weren't they just weren't so successful. They didn't stay in the sport long enough or they didn't enjoy it or all these sort of factors. And I think that's um my special abilities are mental, I think. Okay. So going into that a bit deeper, is that something you train as much as the physical side? You train sort of your mindset as well? Absolutely, definitely. Um, in, in years gone by, as I said, I've been involved for 22 years, but I was always interested in the mental side, but I didn't, in those days, there wasn't much about it and there wasn't much information and obviously there's no internet then, or just beginning. Um, but I first started working with a sports psychologist in 2000, I think it was 2001, actually, 2002. And, and so I got into the world, if you like, of conventional sports the usual things you know goal yeah. setting and uh, you know um, positive thinking and how to how to plan for races and that sort of thing so i did i, I that's when i first started if you like studying the mental skills and then as i've got um got older and got in got become more experienced and learned more about the sport i basically i spent more and more time on mental skills training because one of the things i noticed was when i was talking to other runners um, I represented GB and Scotland in, you yeah. know, in the international scene for a number of years. So obviously I'm, I'm, um, you know, camp, you know, I'm with other runners and in teams and that. And I'd ask people how important they thought the mental aspects were, and they'd always give huge percentages. Oh, you know, once you can do the race, it's it's all in the mind and things like always oh, 90% mental and the rest in your head and all these sort of phrases. And I'd say, well. How much time are you, do you spend then on the mental skills? Oh, none at all. And I always thought that was a bit, a bit odd. They thought yeah. the mental mental power, mental strength, mental toughness was so important, and yet they didn't ever do anything about it. And um, so I, yes, I mean, I've 
especially in the last two or three years i've i mean i really have i mean it's absolutely cool i'm probably spending more time on that than i'm on the physical training yeah um so an absolutely a core part of my training and preparation now fantastic I mean, I guess for someone like yourself, the amount of experience you have, as you said, once you have that physical side, you know how to train uh, in terms of the actual running. I guess that mental yeah. side it is the thing which you need to keep pushing through on. I mean, what are some of the typical typical things that you will do uh, during your training to train that mindset? Yeah, that's a good question because I often when you when you do come across someone who says, well, actually, yes, I would like to do more mental skills training they don't really know how to do it you know everyone knows about physical training there's thousands of books and websites and the rest of it but when it comes if someone says actually i'm interested in that how do you do it well that is a good good question and um i i mean i'm the sort of person i've always been curious i'm always very inquisitive about myself in particular and i've always been the sort of person i'm always asking questions every day all the time about everything really I'm just an insatiable sort of curiosity. How can I do things better? How do you do things? How do you do this? How do you do that? Um, so what I do, I mean, I have a, like a morning routine, uh, which I've developed, yeah. uh, which is a, just part of my life, really. Um, and that involves, the first part of that involves um, a mental toughness or mental skills training um, part, which, I mean, it could, I mean, I usually do about an hour every morning, actually, if I've got time. But that, that's how I try and do it. I mean, it, to me, it's so important. I'm quite happy getting up early, uh, extra early in order to, order to do it. But the sort of thing is it, um, the one I'm using now, I first read about it in a book um, called Mental, what's it called? Ten, Mental Toughness Training by Jason Selk. It's um, an American um, performance expert, if you like. So I, I, I found that was highly practical because a lot of these books, these books you read, they're, they're interesting to read, but they don't actually give you a format for putting the information into practice, Yeah. which, which is what I was really interested in. How do you actually do it day to day, um, like a training program for the mind? So his one, I mean, just very briefly, it involves doing like a centering breath, control, like one deep breath first. Um, then you do performance statements. Um then you do um, what he calls a personal highlight reel, where you think about your two of your best ever previous performances, and just for a minute on each, you spend a minute on each, just doing visualization yeah. of what it was like doing those performances. Um, then you do some mental video clips on upcoming races, two races that you're aiming to do in the future. Um, then you draw up an identity statement, which you repeat to yourself. Um, then you do a centering breath again. Um, then I do a meditation, um, which is what I do about 10 minutes. It can be shorter, it can be more, but okay. I find 10 minutes is about, about enough. Um, then you go through a um, goal setting program. Um, uh, you, you, you ask yourself questions about what is your ultimate goal. You have all this written down, obviously. You've prepared it all and you read through it every day. Um, how you want to be remembered. Uh, how you're preparing for future goal races, what you're doing, um, and then you, you you have to develop a relentless solution-focused approach so that you've always got a solution on board for any problems that might come up. Yeah. Um, so you see, it's like a framework that you put it into, and then, to be honest, I'm always slightly modifying that. Um, 
And then I add on to that things of my own, where I go through a whole series of um, reading through a list of attributes, which I think are really important for me personally. Yeah. Um, to to understand and to be good at for me to achieve my best performances. So that that's a sort of little brief outline. Um, but I mean, I'm always listening to podcasts. You know, I I listened to your first one. Uh, I'm always listening to podcasts, reading, um, just all the time. Really, that's that's also part of this um mental skills training is reading listening and learning all the time it's just part of my daily habits excellent and that's what you just outlined there that's something you do every morning so you go through every single, absolutely every single day absolutely i mean i get up at 5 30 every morning and i do at least an hour oh well it takes me 15 minutes just to do your normal morning things put the coffee yeah. on yeah go to the bathroom and, that, and i sit down and i'll do an hour at least an hour on what I call mental skills training, starting with that little routine I mentioned. And then it might finish up with reading, uh, reading books. Um, and yeah, so that's an absolutely core cool part of my, of my life, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's amazing that you, you've laid it out like that. As, as, as we sort of said before, that's the way people would address their physical training. So for myself, yeah. when I was, uh, when I'd competed in powerlifting before, I, I would set out sort of my, um, my training for the week, my training for the next four weeks and sort of where I wanted to get to. But there was, and that was in sort of the detail which you've laid out there. But yes. I, and I wouldn't even think about the, the mental side of things in that way. I might sort of sit down and say, this is how much I want to lift on a particular day, but I wouldn't do any of those visualizations and things which you've mentioned there. And yeah. I imagine that for any athlete or anyone who's competing, sort of going to that, that level, that depth which you're going into would just be really uh, advantageous to them. Um, it's just becoming an area that's going to be growing all the time. Yeah. Um, there's new research coming out, new experiences, more knowledge about it. And But I think if you ask anyone, as I say, I've, I've asked hundreds of runners about it, and they, no one's said mental skills is of no use at all. They've all said, I said some of them, I've said it's absolutely paramount, but it's just they don't know do anything about it. Yeah. And um, well, I suppose you know in your sport as well, in my sport, obviously it's, it's a long duration sport, so you have a lot of time to think, a lot of time for demons to come out, a lot of time to have doubts about what you're doing. But even in sports where they're only lasting for a few seconds, I mean, you know, you've got to compress everything into an incredibly short time spell. So um, I just think that the more you 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 learn about sport, the more you experience it more you watch it, the more you watch other people doing any sport, whatever, you see what you're seeing is a, is a result of the of mental activity or lack of it. Yeah, I 100% agree on that. And just going into into the race, though, as you said, some of your races last up to, to eight days, which to me is just a terrifi terrifying thought. Um, but how do you manage that mindset during those races, sort of, especially looking towards the end of sort of a six or a seven or eight day race when you're going to be fatigued, you can see that finishing line coming up, but it still seems very far away. How are you managing your mindset in those situations? Yeah, that's it. Well, actually, just to correct you, the longest race I ever did was um, 50 days, five, two. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit special. <laughs> but no, mostly, as you say, my longer runs around six days. Um well, I do this, I have like what I call performance statements, yeah. which I've, well, I've learned, I've developed over the years. Just simple, I mean, I always like to use the phrase optimizing simplicity. Um, it's very, very easy to overcomplicate things, whether it's your training, 
mental approach, nutrition, all that sort of thing. Anyone can overcomplicate something. The real skill is simplifying it. This is what I've come to learn. Um, so I just have literally three or four very simple, if you like, things, statements or things that I think about that for me I know are very effective. And I just rotate through those during a race. Um, but the, the, the core plan that I use in these long races, and I use it whether it's a, a 100k, a one-day race, or an eight-day or a 50-day, and that is to break it down into very small time periods. Um, that might, I mean, literally it might be like 20-minute yeah. blocks, 20-minute blocks, and then I just repeat and repeat and repeat ad nauseum. And really that's the, I think you'll find anyone involved in any kind of long-duration activity whether it's around the world sailor or an ultra runner or um, probably even a Tour de France cyclist as well, with what they're doing is they're breaking it all down into a time period that they feel they can handle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm going through very, very bad patches, I might only be one minute I'm breaking it down to or one step. It's literally just the next step. But normally, if things are going reasonably well, I'll be like 20-minute units, 20-minute sections. And... Um, and then, as I said, I just have four or five, um, three or four, really, um, what I call performance statements. And really what those statements are doing is helping to control where my attention is. I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of your attention and distraction. Um, I mean, nowadays, obviously, we're all distracted all the time, aren't we, by, by our smartphones yeah. and the emails coming in. But really, one of the in any sport, one of the core skills if you like is controlling where your attention is at any any moment in time knowing where to put it where to focus focus if you like call it focus or attention and what, what you realize is um that is really one of the most valuable skills in sport is being able to control where your attention is and not being distracted and of course putting your attention onto something does require a lot of effort which is why most people don't, don't do it. Because of yeah, yeah. And also it's why distraction's easier because distraction doesn't take any effort. But to focus on something, put your attention onto something, requires effort and it requires training, requires um, well, just attention on doing it, yeah, and practice. So a lot of these, um, these, these three or four statements I'm using, these um, words and sentences I'm saying to myself, it's just trying to bring my attention back to what I'm doing and controlling my performance. That's excellent. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how these races, races are done, but there are ever points when you're in these races where it is just yourself or are you usually in quite a tight group with other runners? Um, me personally, because I specialize, I'm, I'm a bit old school in a sense, as I say, because I came from marathon running, I just, I've always done the ultras which are on road and track and circuits and that sort of thing. But that's my speciality, and I'm not really. I have done two or three trail races A to B, which are, as I said, all these are the ones that are the most popular now. But I don't. They're just not my forte. That's not my speciality. Doing those um, in the A to B trail races, you can actually be on your own for hours out in the yeah. hills, out in the mountains. But in the races I do, I'm very, very rarely on my own because I'm on a lap course. It might be a mile around a park or something, or half a mile or something, or if it's on a running track, obviously it's 400 metres. So one of the features of my events is you have a, a great camaraderie amongst the runners. Okay. Um, very supportive. Um, 
So I'm, I'm not in my particular events. I'm not on my own for hours on end. Yeah. But certainly yeah. other other ultra runners would be. Yeah. I was going to ask. Does that help to improve your focus, or does that is that a potential distraction having those people around you when you are trying to focus on your next step or the next twenty minutes of a race? The answer to that is it can be both. Um, if if you're if someone like for example, I I just can't talk to put people in races for long. If someone wants to chat, I'll just say a few words and then say, oh, sorry, but I can't talk because I have to go, I have to focus. I'm not surprised. Yeah, but then having said that, a lot of, you know, we are very supportive of each other and I'll, I'll always grunt, grunt a sort of supportive, keep going or well done. And, and we all do that, whether you're an elite or a back of the packer, you're all in it together. And that is one of the things that people find very, very attractive about ultra running. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not left behind. You're all in it together. Um, especially on these circuit races. So I find, yeah, it can be, when you're going through a bad patch, it can be very uh, supportive and encouraging. There's other people with you. Um, they might help pace you. They might give you encouraging words. But um, at the same time, uh, there's, there's times when you basically you want to be just on in your own world and just grunt, grunt a reply, but not get into a long, detailed conversation yeah. about someone's life history, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I say I can imagine. I, I can't really imagine that, but I, I can see where you're, you're coming from with that. I mean, it's going a bit deeper into those sections of races you've had where you are. You can only focus on the next step because you are in sort of that fatigue. Can Can you recall maybe one of the most difficult races or periods of a race that you've had in the past? Yeah, I've had them in quite a few races, but the one that was by far the worst by a long, long way was that um, when I did the world's longest um, foot race. Two years ago yes. in New York, that was a 3,100 mile race, the yes. 50 day, well, it took me 50 days, you have to finish in 52. And in that race, it was like, um, up until I'd gone into that race, I'd never run more than a thousand miles. So as soon as I'd gone past a couple of weeks or so, then I was into the unknown. Um, and what I found was that I, whilst physically I adapted quite well to the race, mentally I sort of hit the buffers. Um, yeah, I was in. I was into um, areas that I'd never been before. Um, I was in extreme. Um, it's in New York in the summer, so it's hot, extreme heat and humidity. Um, it's on a, a street, so what I call a street circuit. It's open to the public, so you're basically mingling, <laughs> mingling with the public as you go round on the lap. It's about a half a mile lap round the streets of Queens in New York. Um, I was a bit homesick. Uh, it was all these things crowded in on me, noisy. Um, and I, I got to a point after about um, between two and three weeks where basically I almost had a mental breakdown. I was actually on the, I was on my knees, metaphorically. Um, and when those yellow taxis went by saying, you know, fixed rate to JFK, I was all ready to jump into one. <laughs> um, yeah. but, then, but then what happened was, to cut a very long story short, basically I came out of that. And then I actually ran a negative split in the race, which means I ran the second half of the race faster than the first, which has never been ever been done before. And um, it was an extraordinary feeling. And but in a way, at the end, of, I didn't really quite know how I'd done it. And it took me some months after the race, after I came home, for me to unpack it all and work my way through it and work out how I'd actually done it and how yeah. I'd come back so strong. But yes, I was really. I mean, I remember, I think I was at day 19, I was over 70 miles behind the average daily requirement, you know, to finish the race. Yeah. 
and anybody written me off and I could see that you know oh, he's never going to make it and um, I was trying to be the first person over 60 ever to finish and they, they thought well you know that guy he's never going to do it. that Scottish guy hasn't got a chance and I literally just clawed my way back day by day focusing just on each lap each hour each day and um, clawed my way back literally and um, by the end of the race I was um, those final few weeks I was I was hitting instead of instead of doing the average required of 60 miles a day I was I was up nearly 70 miles a day and um, it was an extraordinary comeback if you like extraordinary experience and I always tell people that the first month of the race was hell and the second month was heaven um, but yeah it was uh, it just did show you the power of the mind and that when you're under that much pressure sometimes that amount of expectation and pressure can produce uh, incredible performance yeah uh, and that is the Sri Chinmoy uh, self-transcendence race is that is that right Sri Chinmoy yeah yeah perfect yeah that, that's the group that's the group it's like a meditation group that organizes it yeah yeah so just so just moving on to that do you feel that at times you do get into meditative states when you are are run are on these sort of longer distances when you just get into that sort of get into the zone as some people say it is well, absolutely, definitely, yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, some people call it meditation on the move, and I think that's quite a nice little way of putting it. And um, I find that when I when I said I had these performance statements that I had that I repeat to myself, and one of them is actually move into deep focus, which, as you just said, I mean, it's it's just a case of quickly being able to go into into the zone, into flow, as it's called, or into the zone, um, and it's a lovely state to be in. Um, it's almost like you're not thinking about anything. If anything, you're just thinking about your, your breathing. And that takes you into a... I mean, I love that. It's a lovely feeling, lovely state to be in. Yeah. And um, to me, that's one of the great benefits of these long races is you can spend some time in this lovely flow state if it, if it comes along. And yes, the running, I think it's the the rhythmic breathing and the gentle rhythm of the running. It sort of rocks you into this... Um, as you say, a good description of meditation on the moon, yeah. which I think is a good way of summing it up. And if you can get into that state, it can be very productive. And sometimes you sort of come out of it and go, oh God, you know, two hours has gone by and you hardly notice, you know. And um, but the only thing is you can't sort of go into it at will. You just have to focus on your breathing and then it just comes. It just comes along. Yeah. It's, it's like a dreamlike state. But certainly if you can, I'm sure that a lot of, a lot of the long-distance runners, the reason, one of the reasons they find long-distance running pleasurable is because of this mental state, which in normal life you're not really going into much, you know, because you've got daily distractions and noise and interruptions. Whereas when you're running, um, you can actually get into this state, which, as I say, is very pleasurable. Excellent. And as you said, that you were the first person over 60 to, to complete that race. Uh, and you were also, I believe, the, yeah. the first British person yeah. to complete yeah, the race. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been going. That's right, yeah. First British person to complete well, the race age, within, is, yeah. within 52, the 52-day limit as well. That's right, yes. Yeah. Um, the race has been going for 20 years now. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, I know. I mean, obviously, I noticed a few years before that no one over 60 had ever done it. And, um, you know, I just obviously I could see it was an incredible <laughs> incredible challenge and then, yeah that's how my interest was aroused yeah yeah 
Excellent. And I mean, those are two records you, you have just from that, that one race there, but you have a project called Project 165. Can you can you talk uh, about that a little bit? Yeah, that was, um, yeah, just to put it all in context, when I was focusing on shorter ultra races, by the, I mean, everything in ultra running is relative. Yeah. Um, so when I was when I was doing like 100K and 24-hour races, when you're doing those sort of events, then um, there's national teams, there's, you know, great GB Athletic, UK Athletics have national teams. So you're involved in international championships. Scotland has teams at um, 100K and sometimes 24 hours. So that gave me very clear and tangible goals of getting into the national teams, keeping my place, performing well. But then when I moved up in distance into these multi-day races, basically then you're on your own. You know, there's no national teams. And after you've done it for a bit, you really, when you're coming to set goals and ask yourself, what's my, what are my targets? What are my, why, why am I doing it? Um, that's how I then came up with the idea of, um, well, someone actually first, they said to me, did I realize I actually had quite a lot of records and I had a few world records and I did know I had one or two world records, but I didn't know I had a lot of Scottish records, British records. And that's how that was in um, the late 2000s, probably about 2007, I think. Yeah. Um, that's when I started getting interested in, oh, right, OK, that's um, start making a note of it all. I started recording and documenting all the records I had. And that's when I first came up. My first project that I came up with was called um, 6860, which was trying to set 60 records before I was 60. Um, and then that was successful and I achieved that. And then I came up with another project, which I called 165, Project 165, which was to to, um, to uh, set 165 records before I was 65. But that one went very, very well. And I achieved it way before I was six because I'm not I'm only 62 or what nearly 63 yeah. but I achieved that one um no three and a half years earlier or something um and uh later in a month or two I'm going to be announcing a new record project uh, an even greater total um so yeah for me setting records became my main focus and um how I sort of motivated myself to stay in the sport so that that was the sort of background to it Excellent. Is there any record which you're most proud of uh, out of those uh, 165 pass which you currently hold? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of, um, obviously I've done a lot of, yeah, I'm proud of all of them really, but I'm proud of my, my, my 100k time, the 707, 7 hours, 7 for 100k, and 153 miles in 24 hours. Um uh, the record I did 532 miles in six days, so that's nearly that's just under 90 miles average and just under 90 miles a day yeah. for six days. So I'm <laughs> pretty proud of that one. But um, not not really just because it's the longest, but the the 3,100 miles, the 5,000 kilometer record, you know, the 50 days, 15 hours, whatever it is. But obviously that because it's so extraordinary and that so much went into it and it was almost like a way of life on the road. Um, that one has to stand out. I think it has to be top of the list. Yeah, yeah. that does stand um, and that out. Is also, yeah, that's an overall British record of any age, not 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 just an age group record. Um, the records I've got, some of them are overall British, i.e. any age. Some are Scottish, some are age group records, uh, some are world age group. So there's a whole mixture, really, of... Um, of different different records, but it's all documented on my website, and yeah. um, that's the way it has to be. You must publicise the records, 
get them fully documented and approved. And then, um, I mean, my aim is that all the records get broken by someone in the future. Yeah. Um, long, you know, long after I'm dead and gone, hopefully someone will come along and break them all. Yeah, that's what I think with a record, you're just, you're just borrowing it for a period of time. And whether it lasts a day or 10 years or 20 years, it's just the luck of the draw, really. Yeah. And on these longer races, that's something I really want to go into is maybe you're looking at, even if it's a six-day race or whether it's a 50-day race, race, which you've done, what does a day look like when you're running 90 miles in a day? How do you manage your nutrition? You've talked about sleep deprivation in that study previously. How much rest do you get? How do you get the amount of nutrition which you need when you're running 90, sort of 70 to 90 miles a day? Yeah, when I say you asked, yeah, <laughs> that's the $60,000 question. Um, yeah, that, that is, well, okay. Um, I think just before I answer that, I think the important thing is to put in context that I I built up over years and years and years. So when I did, for example, uh, my first, I mean, I did my first um, six-day race in 2006, 10 years ago. So by then I'd already done, tw- I'd had 12 years experience gradually building up you know, from 100k races, 24-hour races, you know, one day, two day. Um, so I built up, I built up experience year by year. I didn't just suddenly do a six-day race one day or suddenly fall out of bed and run a thousand miles. So for me, it was a long process of building experience and fitness. Um, but yeah, okay. To, to answer your question, the way you do it is similar to what I mentioned earlier. You break it up into small chunks. I mean, I, I've, I found the one that suits me, so I'll tell you what it is for me. Okay. But other people have their own way of doing it. But usually it does for does come down to breaking it into certain chunks. For me, I break it up into four-hour units. And really, I just repeat this, whether it's a six-day race, a 1,000 miles or 3,000 miles. It's a very similar process. So I have a four-hour, I just call it a work period, i.e. a running and walking mixture. And so I... I do that for four hours, and then I'll have a short break. Um, and I'm very good at having naps, doing power naps. So, so let's, for the sake of example, let's take a six-day race. Yeah. Because they're quite common nowadays. I would run, run, walk for four hours, then I'd have a, a break, come off the course, lie and lie down. I have a quality. I wouldn't just sit around chatting. It's all like it'd be like it'd be, it'd be like a Formula One pit stop. My crewman would, would have the bed, have my bed ready whatever it is a camp bed or depending where the sleeping area was we'd have it as close to the course as you possibly can so there's no time wasted wandering to and fro to the caravan or the the camp bed or whatever it is and then i'd go straight down eye blind on earplugs in and i'd have a quality nap 20 to between 20 and 30 minutes and then he'd wake me up up straight away and a minute or two later i'm back on the course and then repeat and i'd keep on repeating that and then once a day, usually at about two o'clock in the morning, I have two hours, what we call a proper sleep. So going to bed, you know, like the same thing, but staying in bed for two hours. Okay. And then he'd get me up and then we'd repeat it. And we literally, literally, um, it was a ruthless um, sticking to that routine. Because I'm what we call a rhythm runner. I run best, perform best when I have a strict routine like that and I stick to it. And then I adapt to it through the race, and that produces the big performances and the big records. Um, I've tried other things. I've tried long running long on the first day when you're feeling fresh. 
and not sleeping at all. I've tried shorter periods, you name it. But for me, that seems to work, and that's what I do. So that's um, I've given my secret away now. So, um, so as you see, and then um, if you want me to cover the nutrition as well, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so that what I just said covers the, the the running side of you, like running and walking and resting. Um, nutrition, obviously, as we know, is hugely individual, and it's one of the areas that I probably struggled with most in all my ultra career. And there was a period of time from um, 1996 till about 2006 where I had really severe stomach problems when I was in these um, these races longer than 100k. I mean, it was so severe. That in 2004, basically, I almost had to. That was almost the end of my ultra career. And it, the, the problem I had was vomiting in races. Um, it wasn't. I mean, I haven't, there was nothing wrong with me, and I wasn't running. I was. There was nothing medical. I didn't have a stomach issue except when I was running. Um, but the problem was trying to find out what was causing it. Um, and in those days, everything was about high carb diets, high carb intakes in races, taking in huge quantities of you know, carbohydrate gels or powders or all the rest of it. And um, because I was in international teams, often I was being advised by the um, nutritionists and because all, all of them were just saying the same thing, yeah. 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour, this, that and the other. And basically, the more I took in, the faster it shot out. Um, and but the thing is, every time you had a big vomit, um, of course, you don't feel great afterwards, do you? And sometimes... You'd be off colour for an hour or two, yeah. or even longer sometimes. And as I say, it got so bad. I always remember coming back from a race in the Czech Republic, a 48-hour race, um, where I'd been leading the race. I was heading for tremendous performance, and then absolutely overwhelmed by nausea and vomiting. And I just, I'd almost hit the buffers, and I just, you know, because all the nutritional. I mean, I had um, nutritionists, I had advisors, and all the rest of it, but. Uh, None of them really listened to me or treated me as an individual. They were just handing out this 60 grams of carb an hour, carb loading, all the rest of it. But anyway, to cut a very long story short, um, it turned out I'm basically a very, very highly adapted fat burner. Okay. Um, I can run on very, very low intakes for days, quite healthily and at high performance. Um but it took me years to get the confidence to do that in races. And that was really one of the reasons why I moved up to the multi-day races was because I found that when I had these short breaks, my stomach loved them because they did the blood rush back to the stomach. And I always remember the first one I ever did, 2006, I went to Monaco, did a six-day race, won the race, did a, did a performance that was the world number one for that year. And I had no stomach issues at all yeah. because these these short breaks suited me and it was the most incredible feeling. I was able to actually focus on the running. <laughs> um, so yeah, nowadays, yes, obviously I do when I'm running along, I have, I would, I quite, the way I describe it, I mean, nowadays people are familiar with high fat diet and low carb and the rest of it. And yes, all right. I mean, in, in my normal life, you would describe me if you saw how I ate, you'd tell I'm high fat, low carb, which is, yes, I am. And, um, but in races, I'm what I call um, demand-led. So I have a very, very small intake of fluid every hour. And I only eat if I feel hungry, which in a multi-day race is usually after about 50 hours. That's five zero hours. Yeah. 
I will start feeling hungry and then, and then I will start eating solid food, things like scrambled egg and that sort of thing. Prior to that, I eat things, I drink like milk, coffee, creamy, have coffee with cream. Um, but just like, just like 100 mils of milk every hour will be a completely normal thing for me to have in, in the early days of the race. Um, and then before I had a break, like I said I came off every four hours. Uh, typically what I would have would be 300 mils of milk just before I lie down. Um, because milk is like a liquid food, isn't it? Yeah. And then I would just I'd digest that while I was having my nap. And then off I'd go again. And I'd perform at my best on that sort of intake. Yeah. That's really interesting. Is so it, it's a bit unusual. Yeah. I think we're, we're at a time now where athletes, regardless of their level, do understand that everything is about specificity now. So you do have to look at yeah. what is necessary for yourself as opposed to what you mentioned there, just everybody who's running these distances, eating 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour. It is about the individual and what's going to work for them to get their maximum performance and to feel good with what they're, with what they're doing. So it's really interesting to hear your take on what you do for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, when I, I mean, I do a bit of online coaching and, one of the things I always um, stress is, that, I mean, it's the same with training, obviously, physical training. But, um, yeah, nutrition in particular is highly individual. And um, nowadays, most people start by taking the, mo- the maximum they can think of. They take them. I mean, you see people starting marathons with a whole process full of gels and this, that, and other. Um, and what I always advise is the absolute opposite. Start with the, with the minimum that you can perform on and then if necessary it's easier to take the minimum add a little bit than start with what i used to do take the maximum and then of course the whole lot came out and you're back to square one so just find out the minimum that you can get away with and then add a little bit onto that start with a little and and build up rather than starting with 60 grams an hour start with 10 grams an hour you know and and take it from there and see how you perform to listen to the body gain experience from races and training, especially from races, and then feedback and then take it from there. But but don't be brainwashed into thinking that the more the better, because it is rarely the case. Excellent. Great. And just one thing I, I really want to understand is at the end of one of your one of your longer events, so your multi day events, what is the toll on your body? How do you feel at the end of that, and how long is it until you you feel like you've fully recovered from one of those races? Oh yeah, good question. Yeah, make a question. Um, again, it all comes down to the experience I built up over the years. I mean, the first time I I, I do a race, I, mean, I remember the first hundred k. I told you my quads were absolutely killing me in the later stages of the race, and yes, I was almost crippled for a week after. But, and then the first 24-hour race I ever did, 1996, on the running track in Tooting, South London, again, I mean, I was sort of wiped out for, I did 100, just under 130 miles, 126 miles or something, which in 24-hour in running standards isn't great, but it's okay. Um, and again, I was absolutely sort of crippled. Um, but all these things... I found I I adapt very very quickly. So the second 100k, the second 24 hours, um, remarkably um, minimal damage and very very relatively quick recovery. And again, when I did my first six-day race, um, 
as I, I was uh, November 96, uh, 2006 in Monaco. I remember that very, very clearly. It was the most extraordinary experience of fatigue. I did 467 miles, I think, in the six days. And basically, I, <laughs> I was like numb below the weight. I just, from the waist down, I just felt numb. That yeah. was the, it was a bizarre experience. And it was the most, it was the most fatigued you could possibly feel. And then again, when I did the second one and, and thereby and subsequent ones, and now if I do a six day race, it's just absolutely minimal. I don't, don't need any painkillers during the race or, or after the race. Um, and I would look quite normal by the time I got home, you know, a day or two later. Um, so what I found is that again, the human mind and body it has an incredible ability to adapt and provided you give it time i mean i never force myself to go out running at any particular time after a race i always wait until i feel like running i mean if i do a 24-hour race nowadays i'll probably feel i think oh, i feel like running again on a thursday or friday after the weekend and then i'll probably go for a walk first make sure everything feels fine yeah and then just get back into running but i would never sort of say, well, oh, I must get running on Monday or Tuesday. Or no, you must listen to the body, allow for recovery. I mean, just to, well, I take an extreme example. When I did the, the 3,100 in New York, 50 days, um, I, I didn't race again for eight months. Okay, that was a race. Yeah. I didn't race for eight months, but I did. I got back into training. I thought, again, I'd just do exactly the same. I'll wait until I feel like running. But physically, I recovered because I've been recovering as I went along. Because um, when I finished, my, I phoned my wife and she said, oh, you know, how are you feeling? I said, well, I feel OK. You know, I woke up at the normal time the next morning, didn't have to go and run 60 miles. Um, but it's just I got I, because it, in those sort of races, you have to recover as you go along. Otherwise, you would never finish. So after the 3,100, um, I think I started jogging again after a couple of weeks without any problem at all. But it was more of a mental battering I'd had. So it took me basically months mentally to recover, which is why I didn't race for eight months. Yeah. Um, but I think the main thing is don't have a prescribed plan for getting back into training. Listen to your body, allow for recovery. Because I've always said health comes first. I mean, if, if, I, if I really felt that what I was doing was having health implications, I don't think, I'm sure I wouldn't be doing them. But yeah. it never has. I mean, people always ask, after my knees um you know because as i say i'm nearly 63 years old oh how are your knees my knees are fine you know I mean, i've done almost 20,000 miles in races alone not counting training and my joints are fine my knees my hips i've got no injuries touch wood as quickly as possible um so it is possible but you, you must allow full and natural recovery okay excellent uh, Richard, oh, sorry, William. I'm not sure I got Richard from that. Uh, just wanted to move on. Have a few questions for you from runners. So, uh, have some questions for you. They want to know some specific things around their training and what you would recommend. So, I'll just kick off with yeah. a, a few of those. So, firstly, how would you fit in a, a long run, uh, a longer training session around a 12 to 14 hour working day? Well, I mean, they, are they building up for like a marathon or? A- an ultra or something. Um, I think this is more just uh, generally. Uh, I know the the person in question has run marathons in the past. He's one of my close friends. He has run oh, some okay. marathons in the past, and he's ran ten uh, k's as well. 
Well, this all comes down, yeah, obviously, if you're, I mean, I'm, I'm self-employed, so I'm, you know, I have a bit more control over my hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, nowadays, people have demanding jobs, demanding lifestyles, families, and all the rest of it. And this is all about sort of balancing the whole thing, looking at the bigger picture. Um, if I was doing a 12-hour work day, then obviously, you've got to build the, um, any long run you're doing, you've got to build it around um, the weekend, haven't you? Um, the other yeah. thing you can do is, is split it up. Do say, I mean, a long run. I mean, do, does he mean like three or four hours or, or uh, that sort of thing? Is he or is that? I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? But anyway, yeah, what relative. he could do is divide. Say he was yeah, really strapped for time. I would say do a back to back at the weekend. Do two hours on a Saturday and two hours on a Sunday, say, or rather than doing a four hours on one day, because um, then you can fit it into family life easier. Um, you could probably finish. Obviously, a lot of people find doing long runs early in the morning more convenient because they can probably be done before the family get up, you know. Um, so it really, it's really helpful to be able to start really early in the morning to do your long runs. Um, yeah. So, yes, I would say divide it in two and do it back to back at the weekend. Or the other one is just to enter a race and, and treat the race, do the race as a training run. Um, okay. sometimes, sometimes that's more acceptable. You can take the family. So, but you know, it doesn't, you, just cause you do a race, it doesn't mean you've got to do it a hundred percent. You might say, as long as you're the sort of personality that can do that, you might say, I'm gonna, there's a 50 K race down the road. I'll go and do it. But I'm just going to do it as a training race, go slower than necessary, practice my nutrition and sort of family can look after me on the route and go out at the end, you know? So you just have to be a bit inventive, I think. Yeah. Excellent. And next question, uh, again from from Matt. I'm Matt's currently travelling around Asia, and obviously where he is at the moment is very hot, very humid. Uh, I know you yourself have done races in in places as you said like New York in the summer, and also in Death Valley yeah. in California. Yeah. What yeah. training tips do you have for being able to perform, being able to go out and run in that heat and level of humidity? The um, okay. The first point is, no matter what the training you do, the heat and humidity will still affect your performance. Yeah. So basically, but you're gonna have to run slower, whatever. Even no matter what training you've done, um, it's just that if you have done some acclimatization, you'll be able to perform better than if you hadn't. But the heat and humidity will still slow you down. Um, personally, I mean, I live in a in an area of outstanding natural beauty, but it is a cool climate. So built into my, I mean, just before I spoke to you, I've just come out of sauna. I mean, I actually do two saunas a week, just as completely normal part of my training, if you like. Yeah. But before a hot race, before I like, go into New York or going to Death Valley, I, I do specific training, sauna training, or I introduce um, where I have my treadmill. I, have, I can make it, the fitness suite, I can make it hot and humid. So I will do specific heat training before every race. Um, but I think the simplest way for most people, sauna training, that's obviously dry heat, but sauna, sauna training is one of the most effective ways of raising the core temperature to give you the benefits of heat acclimatization. Yeah. Um, for humidity, obviously you'd have to go into like a steam room of some kind. Um, I think the main thing to, what I've, what I've noticed, um, again, this was a mistake I made in New York when I first went there for the long race. I couldn't understand how the more the vastly more experienced runners at that race were able to run. I, I couldn't run in the early days. 
I had to walk some days. I said, how can they be running and I'm walking? And then, of course, I realized they'd, I was running too fast for the heat. And you've got to be, um, you've got to surrender to the, the heat and humidity and literally slow down, just go develop a, like, like a little trotting style, yeah. you know, short, short, um, short stride. And then you could so you must adapt to don't fight the heat, don't fight the humidity because you'll always lose. So adapt the way you run and develop a really economical short stride, like a trotting style. Um, and then you can get into like equilibrium with the amount of heat you're producing and as opposed to the heat that's being put onto you from the, the sun and the humidity. So it's like a sort of mental surrender yeah. and adapting your just basically slowing down and putting less effort into your running and then you can then you can run in the heat perfect that's an excellent answer um on to the next one how far would you run in a typical session when you're preparing for for an ultra event did this all depend what me personally you mean yep you personally yep. me personally well because as i say i've done what 99 ultra races i've done almost 20,000 miles in races alone obviously you think of the amount of running and the experience that's in the in the body <laughs> and in the mind. So nowadays, I very very rarely would do more than like a three hour training run at the weekends, um, simply because I just don't need to. Um, the only time I would not do more than that is if I hadn't raced for probably more than three or four months. Then I would do what I call a little training camp, where I would do. Um, a longer run, I might do five or six hours, maybe back to back or something, just to get back into the the feel of it and to um, suffer a bit. But in normal training, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't run more than three hours. And I always say nowadays, I do my big miles in races. Um, I don't need to do it in the training. But then I am doing four or five ultras, not massive ones, but anything from 24 hours upwards every year. So every two or three months, I've got to race. They won't all be A races. Some of them will be a training, 24-hour training race or something. But um, I think the more, I think it's important. People often forget that they, that you, you must, you can take into account your life history of running. It does does make a difference. You know, if you if say you say you were an ultra runner, and you'd only done a couple of races, that's totally different from myself. You've done 20,000 miles. You know, those are those miles are in your legs and in your mind. And it's important to recognise that and capitalise on it. So the, the longer you've been in the sport, I don't think you need to do as many miles. That, make, that makes absolute perfect sense. Um, and the last question here, do you have, in, in a typical training week for yourself, do you have any rest days planned in? Yeah, personally I do. Um, like Mondays actually is always my, I've, I've normally done a back-to-back of some sort, Saturday and Sunday. Typically, I do like an hour and a half on Saturday, three hours on Sunday. Um, and yeah, Mondays, you know, it's my, I don't run on a Monday. I'll do, um, I do my mental skills. I do the sauna training. Um, and in fact, I'll just let you, let you know. I mean, throughout my running career, I've never ever run more than four days a week. Even when I was doing my 238 marathons. Yeah. Um, I've always surprising. done, I've always done. I've never done more, except when I've been doing like a, what I call it a training camp. I've never done more than four days a week of running. Um, I mean, I've done, I mean, over the years, I've tried every type of training. You know, I've done high intensity training. I've done 
kills I've done, you name it, I've done it and tried it. But um, I've always stuck to this four days a week. So basically, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. That's been my typical program I've I've used. Yeah. And um, I think is doing that allows recovery. And and as I say, you can train really hard on those days and then allow recovery. And also, I've always done a lot of conditioning work. I've done that since 1994, and um, before even they call, didn't even call it cross training in those days. And I've always put value on conditioning the body to better take the um, punishment of long distance running. And whether that's why I've had such good longevity, um, I'd like to think is part of the the answer. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm I, I can do things that most runners can't do. I can do pull ups and lift heavy weights and things. You know, I'm well conditioned. Yeah. And, and I think that's important in in a sport where you need robustness. You know, you mustn't break down all the time. Yeah. And I think that's helped. I mean, just touching on what you said there about the cross training, I mean, and with all of the answers you've given, it seems like you, in, in some in some ways you've been sort of a step ahead of where a lot of uh, athletes have been and where a lot of sports science has been in some ways in terms of the things that you're doing with your nutrition and with your training. And with especially what stood out to me is that the mental side of things, the way that you've been focusing on that for such a long time is it is very commonly accepted in sports now. You do see that uh, at the professional level a lot, people having mental coaches. One of the sports I'm most interested in, mixed martial arts, you hear a lot of fighters now talking about the mental side. It's not just the physical side and the sparring. Yeah. They really focus on doing things like visualization and working with specific mind coaches. So it's really interesting to hear yeah. how you've been doing that for, for such a long time in your own training. Uh, yes, I think... Um... Yeah, I think dead right what you're saying. I think in in all sports, often the athletes, the sports people themselves, are ahead of the scientists. Um, and especially like my, from my own point of view, I was always what motivated me was performance. You know, was doing well, was was performing at my peak and my max. It wasn't just obviously I did enjoy it. I do enjoy it. I love it. But that that love of the sport was really enhanced by sort of being good at it and performing at my best. So that's I said earlier I was always I was always questioning everything I was doing and although scientists would advise me and suggest things often I basically I just didn't agree with them <laughs> and yeah. my my personal experience was not what they were saying 60 grams an hour wasn't what I needed in a 24-hour race you know it didn't improve performance it made it worse you know yeah. um so yeah I think as you say often the athletes the sports people the fighters they're ahead of the scientists Excellent. And just one last question from me before before we wrap up here, William. And it's just touching yeah. on something you mentioned before about the, the mental side of, you, of what you do in your visualizations. That was, how do you want to be remembered sort of after your career is done, when you're looking back on your career, when other people see your records and achievements? How would you like to be remembered? How would I like to be remembered? <laughs> um, I would say someone who was... Um, really diligent, dedicated, consistent, and well-prepared. Um, that, that's how I sort of think of myself. And I think, um, in fact, that's what I've got down on my, on my skills training program. <laughs> how do I want to remember it? Yeah, I, I was someone who was, yeah, dedicated, consistent. What I noticed when I first came into ultra running, uh, one of the first things I noticed was how inconsistent people were. They do one fantastic race than a series of absolute disasters, you know. Um, and I always place a lot of value on 
preparation and then being a consistent performer and um that's what i i mean as i say the 100k was the first event i really focused on and i was in the gb team for many years um and i was nearly always under seven and a half hours you know unless it was a very hilly course or something and that and i i always put a, a big a big store on this consistent reliable performance you know i wasn't the star of the show but they could always rely on william to be the third counter you know and um and that's really gone on in all my events i've, I've had very very few disasters you know i've always i'd always even on a bad day i'll do a decent performance and um so yeah and also the preparation i've always been a fanatic on preparation and because i always felt that that's something you can do in your own time at your own speed and be well prepared on the start line uh whether whether that means having you know a three page packing list to make sure you've got everything in your bag or you know mentally prepared physically prepared you know you know the race you know the course and i just think there are things you can do quietly at home yourself you don't need anyone else and um that can take a lot of boxes if you can do that that's excellent william this has been really informative especially for myself someone uh I'm not a runner, I will happily admit that, that's not my forte, and even at shorter distances uh, I would struggle, so to hear about some of your achievements and the way that you approach everything uh, has been really, really informative and really interesting to me, and I really appreciate your time. Lovely, yeah, thanks for the great questions, it's um, given me the chance to tell you what I do. <laughs> no, perfect, and it'd be great to have a chat again, uh, maybe perhaps after you've put in place your, your next uh, goal in terms of your records, be great to catch up with you and see what you have planned for the future as well. Yeah, fine, yeah, I'll put you on my mailing list and you'll hear about when I've got the new um, targets announced. Uh. That'd be amazing. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mind Body Power podcast. If you did, please give us a like on Facebook or rate and review us on iTunes.